1: Hello and welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 60. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we've got an exciting show for you folks this week. A cool story by a returning author, and after that, another bardle. So I'm going to jump right into the story, Dysfunction, by Rob Haynes. Rob's an Englishman living in Wales, who's recently toured the far corners of the United States as part of a traditional Welsh male choir. He spends most of his time writing when he's not working on cancer research projects as his day job. We featured his story Crimson as episode 51, and another of his stories will be included in the Barren Worlds Anthology, coming out this month by Hadley Real Books. This week I share the narration with the one and only Steve Ely from the fantastic weekly science fiction podcast Escape Pod. If you're a fan of science fiction, or just good stories in general, Escape Pod will blow you out of the water. Don't miss it. Steve has been a large inspiration to me in doing the Drabblecast, so it's really cool to have his voice on the show. So without further ado, Dysfunction, by Rob Haynes. I heard them shuffling about in the middle of the night, like misshapen zombies, Ever since my work had begun, I woke in the long hours before dawn, and every night they walked in the workshop below, their limbs of cardboard and glass, of cloth and paper, rustling as they tore me from my nightmares into a dream born of the previous day's labors. Each time sleep once again claimed me, and each time I woke in a cold sweat, afraid to descend the stairs and experience the horror of my creations come to life. Each time I rose from my bed, exhausted from nightmares and waking dreams, they sat silently, motionless on the floor and tabletops of my workshop, showing no sign of their nighttime wanderings but that they were not where I had left them the previous night. The first time, and the second and third, I spent each morning returning them to their rightful places. A futile effort, I assure you. And yet, I could not cease my endless sculpting. I know not to this day what drove me to create such shapes, many limbed creatures of straw and wire, lopsided bipedal mutants of packing tape and cardboard tubes, each developing in my mind's eye as if organically shaped from some long-distant design. Despite my efforts, I could not bring myself to sell any of them. Even if I had found some damned soul who would wish to buy one, for there are always damned souls willing to purchase such esoteric art, I would be afraid of their reaction to my creation's wanderings. Even in these enlightened days of science, it takes little to start a witch-hunt. As an artist, I should know the power of the media more than most. It was Alex who was the first to notice that something was wrong. Alex, who I have to thank for my salvation, for my freedom, for my loss. He was an old friend, one of those who hovered on the edges of the artistic world. I had relied on him for his cool head and outside perspective ever since I had become the epitome of the starving artist. Never as starving as my latest creations had made me, of course. My patrons were growing impatient.
2: I just don't understand you, Cal
1: he said as he entered my studio. He wore pale slacks and a deep blue polo-neck sweater, and his mid-length hair held a narrow middle ground between the reckless bohemia and coiffured pretension.
2: You've got oil sheiks from Abu Dhabi banging down your door to buy classical character studies. You've got rich young footballers who wouldn't know art if it smacked them in the face, desperate to buy a Calvin Anderson original, and you're still working this scrap art angle. What's up with that?
1: I shrugged my attention was momentarily distracted as I realized the lumpy quadruped of wire and yarn that had been constructed in three frenzied days last week had migrated from its stand by the door to the far corner of my workshop. Two of its appendages, presumably its forelimbs if the rhinestones that decorated one surface were supposed to represent its face, were raised against the wall as if beating its impotent fury against the plaster and brick. I have to follow my muse, I said. It was a lame response, but it sounded like something an artist would say when defending his art. I I can't just sit down and create a masterpiece every day, you know.
2: Don't give me that bullshit. You must have some reason for creating these ugly pieces of crap, some plan of how you can make money from them. You may be crazy, but you're not stupid.
1: I'd had a chance to think about what he'd said by the next time he came back, three days later. Was I crazy? In the passing days, I'd taken a box of drawing pins and stabbed them into a papier-mâché creation that could only be described as a cross between a large arachnid and a squid. It felt right, and the papier-mâché was rigid enough that I finally thought I'd found a way of controlling my creations.
2: That's one ugly piece of shit. No, is it?
1: I nodded. I had hidden it away in a cupboard as soon as the papier-mâché had set, in part out of a strange sense of depression, and in part out of a sick fascination to see whether its rigid form would prevent it from joining the shuffling, dance macabre that kept me awake each night. It had danced nonetheless. Alex scanned the rest of the room.
2: Can't you leave anything in place for even a day? It looks like you spend more time moving these things around the room than you do sculpting.
1: He could not understand. I had no intention of explaining. He would think I was crazy. (laughs) I was starting to think that perhaps I was crazy. I could see the concern in Alex's eyes as he walked through my workshop. He paused in front of the lumpy quadruped, which had moved back to its work desk overnight. He scratched it under the chin and shuddered.
2: This is some creepy shit, Cal. Who in their right mind would want to buy it?
1: I don't know i said i gave a half shrug and a weak grin i was tired very tired
2: then why are you still making it and don't give me any of that stuff about your muse
1: <laughs> i don't know i repeated a life-sized biped of cotton wool and electrical tape loomed out of the corner of my eye and i reached out to trace my fingers across its torso i i have to keep making them it's a compulsion And every night, I hesitated. He would think I was insane. A dark thought loomed in my mind. He would take them away. They would no longer be mine. I had to have them.
2: You need to get out more. I think you're going crazy locked up in this place on your own. Come out for a drink. It'll do you good.
1: I went. I could sense my creations trying to coax me back as I closed the door behind me, But Alex's presence gave me strength. I would return when the night was through. Perhaps this time I would catch them in their dance. Perhaps this time I could be sure that I wasn't going crazy. The bar was dark and smoky. We talked of other things, of football and girls and days past, of wars and politics, of all the things that I had no time for amongst the creative frenzy of my work. The beer had sunk into my brain by the time we began our short walk back to my workshop. My heartbeat felt ragged, half in excitement, half in terror at what I might find.
2: "'What's wrong? I swear you're cracking up.' (laughs)
1: "'I don't want to go back,' I said. The alcohol coursed through my system, but I could feel the pull of my offspring even three streets away.
2: "'There's always the spare room at my place. Come on, it'll do you good to spend a night away from that madhouse.'
1: I can't. I have to go back. Why? I have to see for myself, or or else I'll never know. I'll lie there half in and half out of a dream, listening to them every night. I'll never know whether I'm
2: crazy or not. Them? You mean your sculptures? You think they move themselves during the night? You must be crazy.
1: I looked at him in desperation. His expression of amusement faded, and he nodded. We returned to the workshop together. All was quiet. I turned the light on. The quadruped still sat where it belonged. The papier-mâché arachnid stood on my work desk, where I had left it. Alex looked at me with a smug expression.
2: See? Nothing's moving of its own accord.
1: Maybe it's too early. Maybe they're waiting until you're gone.
2: Now that is crazy talk.
1: You don't know what it's like.
2: This has to end, Cal. Take them away. Sell them if you have to.
1: <laughs> no! My voice came out as a shout. I I can't live without them. They can't live without me.
2: They're not alive. You're obsessed. You can't stay here.
1: I heard the rustle of plastic behind me and I spun around, staring wildly across the room. Nothing. My imagination. Or one of my creations creeping across the floor. I just wanted to run, to barrel up the stairs, tripping over my drunken feet, to hide in my bed. But then I would never know for sure. A hand touched my shoulder. I yelled and broke free, then turned. Alex withdrew his arm, and his expression was one of grave concern.
2: This has gone too far. Destroy them, or else they'll drive you insane. No, I won't. Not even for your sanity?
1: I hesitated. No more would I half-dream of their shambling gait. No more would I wake, exhausted from a night's hard slumber, but they were mine. No more would I live in fear of the things I had unleashed, but I had to have them. But to be free, a jet of flame flickered at the lighter's tip. I held up my hands to stop him, but my eyes betrayed me. Alex reached out for the arachnid, and the papier-mâché caught, in a moment, I imagined I could hear its cries as it burned.
2: Now the rest. Gather them all.
1: So I guess maybe the Mona Lisa's eyes really do follow you. Okay, one quick thing before we get to the Bartle. The Sacred Chalice of Glory for the Travelcast People's Choice Best Story of the Year Award is finally done and was shipped off this week to Aaliyah Whiteley, the winning author of episode 43, Jelly Park. Pictures of it are up in the forums if you want to see how awesome it looks, thanks to our resident graphic designer, Bo Kyer. Congrats again to Aaliyah. The Sacred Chalice of Glory is quite an honor. If you haven't heard Jelly Park, you should check it out. It's quite a story. Okay, so Bartle time. A Bartle is a song that I write and perform about whatever one of our donors wants. The donor also gets to choose the musical style that they want the song to be in. Our suggested donation to have a Bartle composed is 100 bucks. It's a way you can help out our podcast and also add to the fun of it. This week's Bartle is composed for contributor Mike Dunn. Mike is a lover of sci-fi and fantasy, podcasts, and patio books. He has a blog on podcasting and emerging media trends at www.nomadicaudio.com, and you can find a link to his own blog in our show notes. Mike's Bartle request was for an alternative rock song about, quote, teenagers who interact with their parents in a I can do no wrong and you guys are idiots" attitude. Mike says he has two teenage boys who he loves, but he says they have this kind of attitude from time to time, and it makes him and his wife laugh. He also said I could use whatever I wanted to to make it weird. Werewolves, wookies, Aliens, etc. You'll see in a second what I end up going with. This song also marks my first and hopefully last bit of experimentation with the emo rock genre. The lyrics will be up in the forums, and the mp3 file will be in our show notes, as well as the Drabacast mp3 warehouse. I'll also take this opportunity to shamelessly plug my own CD, which you can get at www.normsherman.com. You should check it out if you like this Bartle. Okay then, say it with me now. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you like. If you like what we do, throw a donation our way via the PayPal link on the website at www.dropcast.org. All donations are greatly appreciated. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to take out the trash.
0: My heart is bleeding and I can't deal with the pain Your words cut through me like a knife These wounds will never heal, these scars will still remain Feel like I'm dead inside but somehow still alive And I'm not an angsty teenager just going through a phase I'm not just trying to find myself Not just at that age, I'm a zombie I'm 16 And no one understands me Cause I can't speak It's me against society And I'm hungry They call me Mr. Undead But I'm just misunderstood It was the planets alighting with the moon that made me rise out from my tomb. I lurched around past my curfew and so you sent me to my room. Next day you were banging on my door. Said that I needed to do my chores. I don't think you even realize I'm not living anymore. Tell me what page it's on in the Necronomicon that says before the dead will walk the earth they have to mow the Lord I don't want your sympathy Next day you logged onto my MySpace page and read that blog that I just wrote that said I wanted to eat your brains. Your stupid rules are also lame, and your nagging is relentless. I don't see how my eating brains is any. Amazing. Business. Your sticks and stones may break my bones, and your flamethrowers may burn me. But only direct headshots will ultimately concern me. Don't want your sympathy, but I'll need your lame advice. You can't tell me how to move, because technically I already died. You could never feel my pain. take out the trash go to school and cut the grass no more groans no more growls no more moaning pointless vows. get a haircut get a job don't eat the cat don't eat the dog no more lurching no more drools sick and tired of all your rules don't want your sympathy I don't need your name advice you can't tell me how to live cause technically zombie i'm sixteen and no one understands me cuz i can't speak it's me against society and i'm hungry they call me mister undead but i'm just misunderstood
2: now the rest Gather them all. Ha ha, ha ha What a weird ending line. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha.
1: I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.